Acts 24. Now, we've been looking at Acts. We're continuing to. We're going to try and finish it off over the next few weeks. We're not looking verse by verse by any means. Um, And I have, for these two weeks coming up, I had, uh, I mean, it's my own fault. I allocated it to myself. But I had chapters 24, 25 and 26, I think, to look at. So, but actually, I really felt God spoke to me about something just to pass on to you. It's, it's got, I think, a wide application. It's certainly relevant if you're on the edge of thinking about being a Christian or come through just 10 or from the Alpha. It's also got an application, and I mean this quite seriously, if you're drifting as a Christian, drifting in your allegiance to Jesus, and I can assure you, sadly, it is very easy to drift. You can drift away. Listen to this verse, Hebrews 2, verse 1. We must pay, written to Christians, of course, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. If you are not progressively going forward in your faith and with Jesus, you will drift. And you won't drift towards Jesus and his people. You'll drift away. The current will take you the other way. Passivity in Christian terms and not focusing on the the big stuff on Jesus and following him and submitting your life to him does mean a drift and it never is in the right direction. So I want to touch that in, in what I'm saying. But I believe it's relevant to all of us. All of us are prone, I think, to areas of compromise, compromise sometimes with sin. We're all prone to the battles of going on as a Christian. And although the people we're going to look at this week and next week actually never, as far as we know, and there's good evidence that they didn't, they never did become Christians. They all came very close to the kingdom. They were clearly spoken to. They clearly tussled with what Jesus was saying to them. And then they made excuses. So I'm going to talk about what's your excuse. And it's going to be over two uh, weeks, but it's going to look at three men, as I say, who came close to the kingdom of God, but didn't embrace... What the challenge of what it meant for them. And it comes out of the story that we get through those chapters. The story, not made up, the story of what really happened in the life of Paul. You know, the Bible is over 60% what we call narrative. That means it's not prescription and laws and uh, 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 prescribed laws. It's the story of people's lives. Over 60% of the Bible is the story of people's lives. It's people doing business with God. You could think of it off the top of your head. There's the Josephs and the Joshuas and the Davids and and the New Testament, Paul and others. But Acts is a narrative. And it's very interesting that God teaches us and speaks to us the majority of the way. It's through the story of people's lives as they have dealings with him in ordinary situations. Now, we're going to look at three important humanly speaking, important men who were very busy and who at some point in their busy, ordinary lives, though they weren't ordinary lives, they were powerful men, but in what they would see as their day-to-day lives, they had contact with a very full-on Christian, the Apostle Paul. And they heard about Jesus. And frankly, Jesus knocked on the door of their lives. I really believe Jesus knocked on the door of their lives. But they were all challenged by it. They all heard about Jesus, but they never allowed that challenge to change them. 
so it was of no profit to them. They never mixed what they heard with faith. They never embraced what it meant and it was no help to them in the end. It didn't change them. The three people are Felix, Festus and Agrippa. And we're only going to look at Felix this morning. And I can't help even smiling to myself as I start. I'm going away from my notes here. Because these men were judging the Apostle Paul. They all three were in a position of judges. They were very powerful men. Felix and Festus were both the Roman governors of the province of Judea. They were men of great influence. They were hard men. They were in some ways cruel. They were certainly manipulative. They had a lot of wealth and all sorts of things. And if you had said to Felix, even in the times we're going to read about in a moment, hey Felix, come here a minute. Do you know, in 2,000 years' time, all over the world, which will have multiplied to billions of people, billions of people will know something about the guy you were trying this morning, Paul. And millions of boys will be called Paul in all sorts of cultures you can't imagine just because of him. And what he wrote, and even the account, funnily enough, Felix, of what you talked to him about this morning, will be written down and read in cultures beyond your imagination, in books you wouldn't understand, and even, you know, you can think of all the things of communication today. But hey, Felix, here's a surprise for you. Nobody will really know about you. The only reason anybody will know about you is because of this guy, Paul. And a few people will call their cats after you. (laughs) And you, you, you know, I think apart from being arrested and beheaded instantly, if you talk to him like that, I mean, he would have been amazed how God laughs in the heavens. He really does, folks. God does not work on our standards. And he still doesn't. It's the Bethlehem principles, the Nazareth thing. It's, it's, it takes the despise. That is our God. And actually, although Paul stands in chains in most of these three or four incidents, three incidents we're going to look at, and, and, and these men and their pomps around him, it's that they change a bit with the circumstances. That's generally the position. Yet, it's Paul who is the one in charge. And it's where God is. Not in charge in some human control way. He's the one who's in dignity. You're going to see this morning, Felix trembles before Paul. Paul does not tremble before Felix. It's fascinating. God is with us. If we are in Christ, we are most favoured. That's the place to be. As Paul says powerfully in one of these interviews, I would that all of you, he says to this courtroom full of powerful people, were as I was except for these chains. And that's true. I would you all knew Jesus like I knew him. It's a powerful, powerful incident. And we're going to look at it in a moment now. The first of these, then, Felix, is with his excuse when it's more convenient. Because all three of them make an excuse. I'm only going to look at this one this morning. Felix's excuse is when it's more convenient. Now, I need to say a little more about him because I love the background and it makes it live. And this is real history. That's why I love it. Felix was the Roman governor of the province of Judea. And Paul had been arrested for protection. He was taken into protective custody by the Romans because the Jewish mob in Jerusalem had tried to actually kill him, just to beat him up and kill him. And the Romans had arrested him 
And then, as part of the due process of law, he was in protective custody and he was sort of appealing to Roman law through this little scenario. Now, about Felix, Governor Felix was a brutal ruler. You need to know that. He was pretty savage. And he had savagely dealt with several Jewish uprisings in which, as always, he had killed the innocent with the guilty. That always happens in those situations. And Felix had earned the hatred and the fear of the Jewish population. But you really wouldn't know that when you read the syrupy flattery of the Jewish lawyer who is trying to get Paul persecuted, convicted and executed by the Romans, or at least get them back so they can kill him one way or the other. He's after it. And just, I couldn't resist, not really what I'm talking about, but I could not resist it. You think spin only started in the in Tony Blair's days. It's always been there. This is Felix, who has already been responsible for the death of many Jews. You'll hear later in the story, he was pulled back to Rome to answer for his savagery. That's why he was taken back to Rome. Even the Romans thought he went over the top. But this is how the lawyer for the Jews starts his speech. I think it's going up. 24 verses 2 and 4. Is it going to go up? If you have, this is what it says. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. Oh, good. Thank you. Because look at this language. This is the Jewish lawyer to this guy. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought reforms in this nation. Therefore, in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. This is him speaking to the Roman governor and going to say, please give us that guy back to kill. Now, Paul then has to give his own defence, which he does in the rest of the chapter. And the bit I really want to read with you is verses 22 to 27, which is after Paul's defence. So, chapter 24, and I want to start reading at verse 22. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he says, I will decide your case. He ordered then Centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now, you may leave. When I find it more convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favour to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. I wonder if you noted that, noticed that key phrase in uh, the verse that I started with, verse 22. Felix was well acquainted with the way. Now, the way was the early nickname for Christianity, before it got the name Christian. They were people of the way. And why were they called people of the way? Because they kept talking about Jesus Christ as the way to God. And the name developed out of that, that Jesus Christ is the way. 
He doesn't just tell us the way, he is the way. He's the only way to God. Do you know that is still what we Christians believe and proclaim in the 21st century, isn't it? Jesus is the way. They proclaimed it in first century pluralism. Don't think it was any easier for them to talk like that. That, oh well, they didn't have all the politically correct stuff we have and people get all jumpy with us and say, oh, surely you can't be as dogmatic as that. They had people throwing them in prison for saying things like that. Not embarrassment at work. And actually, we still believe that Jesus is the way. The only way to God. And we can be courteous as Paul is, careful as Paul is, wise in his terminology, but he's always talking about Jesus as the way. And you'll see that in a moment. We know that Felix was a brutal ruler. I've told you that already. But he lived in a very grey moral world. Drusilla was his Jewish wife. We've read that in verse 24. What history tells us, the Bible doesn't, but we know from history, she was his third wife. So he was on his third wife. Drusilla was the youngest daughter of Herod Agrippa, who we'd met in chapter 12, who beheaded James. And when she was 16, she was reported as being ravishingly beautiful. And when she was 16, she had just been married to another man when Felix seduced her, committed adultery with her, took her away from her husband, she got divorced and he married her as his third wife. Sounds a bit modern, doesn't it? Heard any celebrities doing things like that recently? That's how Felix lived. Got hold of a a young bride, seduced her, took her away from her husband and married her and it was his third wife. So he was quite morally grey, amoral man in many ways. We can get other hints of it here. Verse 26 talks about bribes. He was into bribery, liked a few bribes. Verse 27 shows us, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, that he was a political manipulator all the time. He tried to favour, get favour with the Jews, probably realising that they were complaining to the emperor and he needed to butter them up a bit. Uh, But he's quite a, a cynical manipulator. But somehow this hardened sinner, this worldly man, became well acquainted with the way. He knew all about Jesus He knew he didn't embrace it, but he was clearly fascinated by it and attracted to it. Verse 24 and 25 are quite amazing, really, when you know the background. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess, and he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. This man really was serious. He would not have done this if he had not been interested. There are many people like that. They're well acquainted. They think, what's this about? I want to hear about this. He was stirred by it. He was challenged by it. He spoke privately to Paul. What did Paul talk about? Philosophy? No. Faith in Jesus Christ. We're told that Paul explained faith in Jesus Christ. There's always this, that's always the central focus of our Christian faith. Always. Paul would have spoken about Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Knowing that Drusilla had a Jewish background, it's very likely, Paul explained how Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, from the Old Testament. That's a a common thing he did in his gospel preaching, especially when there was Jewish audience. So it's likely that he unpacked the scriptures. However, and this is so important, when Paul proclaimed Jesus Christ, 
and the good news of the gospel. He never did it in a vacuum. He never did it as theory. He never did it as an interesting idea for you to think about intellectually, a philosophy or whatever. Jesus is not merely a historical figure. Jesus is about you and your life. He can be your saviour. He can be your Lord. You can know God in and through Jesus Christ. And as always, that's true today, as always with Paul, that was true in his delivery. And he obviously homed right in on some issues with this powerful worldly couple. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Paul didn't leave it as a nice theory, as ideas to discuss. Is there a God? Now we do do that. We do talk in Alpha about who is Jesus. It's right to do that. But in the end, what does this mean for you? Every one of us. If, If this stuff is real, what does it mean for you? If Jesus really did come and die and rise again, he's the Son of God, he's the Lord of all, we're all going to meet him one day and all give an account of our lives to him, what does that mean for you? And actually, it would seem Paul got into those areas. The three things mentioned are fascinating. They're just a summary, of course. He would have talked a lot more than just a couple of sentences. But I would say to you, why these three is an interesting question. I believe he was bravely but politely challenging Felix and Drusilla. Righteousness, which could equally mean justice, probably challenged Felix's well-known cruel behaviour his general amoral attitude, his cynical pragmatism. Paul began to speak about righteousness, self-control. I wonder if that was to both of them about their lust, their promiscuity, the lifestyle they were used to. Uh, 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 Drusilla's family, the Agrippas, were notorious. We're going to make Agrippa and Bernice later on. They're incestuous. They're, they're, They're brother and sister living together as man and wife. I mean, these are real high high duty. You know, think Hollywood's bad. The Agrippas are bad. And, 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 and Paul didn't avoid these issues. Politely, he began to penetrate into their lives. He talked about judgment to come. That's about the consequences of living your life without knowing Jesus Christ as a saviour. The consequences of facing the holy God, but nothing happening before you get there. It's not enough to try and tidy your life up. Paul would have said that. Some commentators say that these three points might have been the three points of salvation that Paul talked about. You could argue it. He probably did say what I'm about to say very lightly. But I suspect that these three are chosen because they were particularly relevant to their lifestyle. But they do nevertheless cover the full gospel that Paul would have taught about righteousness. That you cannot be righteous on your own. If you're unhappy about where you're at, he was trying to, he was hoping that uh, Felix would admit to his unhappiness. I think it's pretty likely he was unhappy. He was pretty disturbed. I don't think he would have felt afraid or trembled or if he wasn't. And he was no weakling. He wasn't a wimp. He wasn't a wuss. I mean, you know, but something got to him. And Paul uh, somehow would have said, there is a righteousness. There is a righteousness available. But you'll never get it yourself. You can get it in Jesus Christ. That's still true. You can be saved. In the past it is. You can have your past dealt with. You can be saved from your past. Whatever you've done, if you're a Felix that have killed innocent people, that have had three or four wives, lived a promiscuous lifestyle, pinched a a beautiful young wife from her husband, you can be forgiven. 
in Jesus Christ. There is a righteousness that's not down to your works, it's down to his righteousness in Christ. But it's more than being saved for the past. You can be saved in the present. You can be saved from the power of sin in your life. You can know self-control. Now, you might say, that's a strange word. Well, it's a fruit of the Spirit, self-control. And that God can change you. The Holy Spirit can fill you. And as it were, you go on being saved. You were saved from your past. You go on being saved in the present. There is an active change that the gospel brings that can change your lifestyle. Sin no longer needs to have dominion over you. And salvation is future. It's past, it's present, and it's future. You will be saved when you stand on that last day before God. You will be secure on that day of judgment in Jesus Christ. None of us is pure and holy in ourselves. None of us can stand before God in our own merits and expect anything other than judgment. This is the holy, radiant, burning whiteness of God's holiness. We do not have a hope. We've not lived up to our own life standards, let alone God's. We have not lived like Jesus. We've not kept the Ten Commandments. And those are broad standards that would give us some idea what normal, holy living was supposed to be. But we can stand pure in Jesus Christ. I love this verse. It's such a great summary of the Gospel. I've often used it. No apology for using it again. 2 Corinthians 5.21 sums it up so well. They'll pop it up in a minute. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the Christian gospel. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for me. He took my sin. It's like clothes. The image is a clothesary one. My filthy clothes put on him and burnt up. Me given his pure white clothes. And in him, and it is only in Jesus, I have imputed to me the righteousness of God. In Christ, you will be saved when you stand before the throne of God. Any other way, you won't be. Now, Paul would have explained that because he wrote that many times in his New Testament letters and he would have built that into his answers to the needs of their lives. It's a great salvation. As Paul pressed home to this wealthy, powerful, dysfunctional couple, I think the Holy Spirit began to challenge them. And somehow Felix was suddenly impacted. The judge was suddenly on trial. Suddenly he was afraid. The old authorised version says he trembled, which is very vivid. He trembled. And I said earlier, it's amazing Paul didn't tremble before Felix. Felix trembled before Paul. So it's not Paul's to do with Paul's psychological power. It's the gospel impacted him. Felix thought, this is 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 uneasy. This is challenging all my values. This is challenging my lifestyle. But Felix didn't go with it. What was his problem? He says, that's enough for now. I'll I'll explore this further when it's more convenient. When it's more convenient. I suggest this problem was fundamentally a moral problem. I want to talk to you about that for a moment. His conscience was disturbed, but the moral cost of following Jesus was too high to Felix. It required too much change. It seemed like everything would have to change. He liked his sin. Actually, I believe he relied on it. How would he survive in his role if he didn't bully 
scheme, lie, bribe and even kill people. How can I carry on being governor if I am righteous? What's a righteous governor going to happen to a righteous governor? Now, actually, you can, but it's scary if you rely on your, your power and your soldiers and your bribery and your ability to scheme. What would it mean for his sexual appetites? He'd been used to having any woman he liked. He came out of Roman culture. They probably had boys as well. He was used to anything. And he probably, largely for political reasons, actually married Drusilla because she was linked in with the Agrippa line. But he probably wasn't the only person he had sex with, I doubt. He was used to that. He was used to that amoral, promiscuous life. We think it's bad today. You read about first century Rome. And suddenly... It was challenged. We're talking about self-control, purity, fidelity to your wife. We're talking about honourable living in every way. Now, I know he couldn't do it, nor can you, but the impact of the gospel will change you. And you've got to be ready for that. You've got to be ready for the cost of following Jesus. And, And in a way, there's a cost. We'll talk about that in a moment, even though it's free. Felix's conscience was aroused But the whole thing was very, very inconvenient. This is very inconvenient to me. This is very difficult to handle. He wanted peace and forgiveness, but he wanted it without any substantial change to his life. That can be very easy to be like that. We can all be a bit like that. But it can't happen that way. You see, the gospel is free. Please just let this sink in. I know it's familiar to some of you, but let's just remind ourselves, remind yourself, whoever you are, the gospel is free. Forgiveness of sins is a free gift. You cannot earn it, but in another way, it will cost you everything. Now, why is that? It's this. The gift you receive it in, hear this, is the gift of Jesus Christ. You don't receive forgiveness as a separate dollop on your life while you can do what you like. It comes in Christ. In Christ, you are forgiven and made new. As you put faith in Christ, as you launch yourself into Christ, that's what baptism's all about. As you're immersed in Christ, you are forgiven and cleansed. Your sin goes. You have his righteousness. You are seen, as it were, from heaven's perspective, as Christ. Clothed in Christ. But that's how you get forgiveness. You don't get forgiveness not clothed in Christ. It's not God just suddenly said, oh, never mind, Felix. No, you've got to embrace Christ. Felix, you've got to embrace Christ. You can be forgiven for murder and duplicity and for adultery and for all the cynical things you've done if you will embrace Christ. But not, here's forgiveness, my son. Now go on and be a slightly better governor. Don't kill quite so many people. That's not how it works. That's never worked like that. You embrace Christ. It's all about Jesus. He has the whole of you and you give him everything. And you get everything from him. You give him everything you've got and he gives you everything he's got. And that's a pretty good exchange. But that's what happens. I mean, you don't lose out that way, folks. You never lose out that way. But you give him everything you've got, he gives you everything he's got. It's a wonderful covenant exchange and it's free but you'll never be the same again. You can't be. That's how it works. There, is a lot of, there are a lot of people that get to the edge and they want forgiveness, they want peace, they can see the understand, understand it a bit, but they're not prepared to embrace Jesus as their saviour and Lord. And you can't separate those two roles up. It's Jesus you embrace. 
They want to feel good, but they don't want to change. Felix wanted to feel good, but he didn't want to change. It's not convenient at the moment. I wonder if some of you feel that sometimes, when you get Jesus focusing in on you, when you get disturbed and challenged by by what he says, maybe on the edge of embracing him as your Lord and Saviour, maybe as a Christian, drifting a bit, and knowing that God's speaking to you about what you've got to do to put it right. wonder if you feel it's not convenient. There's too much compromise required at work. If I start lining my life up to Jesus, I might even lose my job. You don't understand. I can't do my job without lying and and playing around and and doing things I shouldn't. Or maybe you say, my relationships are too entangled. I, I live with this person and we sort of like have sex and stuff, but, you know, I'm going to have to unpick all that if I follow Jesus. It's not simple, you know, goodbye. I've got a lifestyle I've got to think about. Well, that happens. Now, it does take time. It does take I'm sure Felix would have had a lot of efforts and thoughts and things he'd have to do, but God can bring you through. It might not all have happened instantly, but there's an embracing of Jesus and a taking on the consequences of where that's going to take you. I'm going to be a very different sort of person. I'm going to be a Jesus governor. I'm going to be Jesus governor and it may mean I'm dismissed. Now actually, ironically, he got dismissed anyway. That's, that, we'll get to that in a minute. He didn't get what he wanted. He was dismissed, actually. Um, very summarily, apparently. Now actually, this, at this point, is like, well, this is asking too much. What about my secret pleasures? What about my secret? Have they got to go as well? Yep. They may well go as well. I suspect they might, if they're sinful ones. You've got to give your lifestyle over to Jesus. The fact is, God may well be speaking to you like he was to Felix. He felt the challenge of the Holy Spirit. But, and this is the really sad bit as I come towards the end, the moment seemed to pass. The moment seemed to pass. When you read verses 26 and 27... There is a different tone. He went on seeing Paul, but he seems to harden up and get more distant, and I guess more cynical, hung on to his sin. It says he was hoping Paul would offer him a bribe. It says he kept Paul in prison to earn the favour of the Jews. He's obviously chosen to hang on to his sin, though he's still a bit interested and fascinated, but he's distant and he's more cynical. He's back where he was. There is no evidence that Felix ever embraced the gospel, ever took on the conviction. There was that day when he trembled, that day when it came that close and he shook with fear as he saw this is my life we're talking about. If I embrace this way, this way will embrace me. Yeah, it will. Ah, ooh. And, and at that point, he pulled back. There's no evidence that he became a Christian. Even what he does with Paul, leaving him in prison for two years, it's mentioned in the verse deliberately, he's actually breaking his own law. Roman law said that anybody in um, protective custody must only be kept in custody for two years. Roman citizen, which Paul was, they must be set free. So it's made a point of in the text that he kept him beyond the legal limit just to try and please the Jews. So he actually, though he liked Paul, he actually was prepared to break the law. Paul stayed in prison longer than he legally should in order to keep the Jews happy. But here's the sad and challenging bit. Roman historians do account, they're very thorough, by the way, the records of Roman, uh, particularly uh, their civil affairs, they recount that Felix was hastily recalled to Rome and ordered to explain to the emperor his savage treatment of the Jews. 
he was put in a very dangerous position. Possibly would have been executed, but for his brother's appeal to the emperor. So his life was spared, but he ended his days in disgrace and anonymity. That's an interesting one, isn't it? He thought he'd lose everything by embracing Jesus. Actually, he lost everything within a few months, probably, anyway. Because within a very short space of time, maybe two years or less, he was whipped back to Rome, completely stripped of all his role, stood before the emperor, why have you been such a lousy governor? The Jews are always moaning to me because you're so unpleasant to them. And then he actually it was much more serious than that. He could have been executed or possibly, but his brother intervened in some way, strings were pulled, and he was just dismissed and uh, in disgrace. So what did he gain? What did he gain? There was a moment when he could have responded. Matthew Henry puts it powerfully and wonderfully, just in simple words. I think it's on the screen if you've got it on PowerPoint. I'll read it otherwise. Matthew Henry says this, a comment. Felix put off this matter to a more convenient season. But we do not find this more convenient season ever came. The present season is, without doubt, the most convenient season. Did that go up? Is that not working, guys? Because I want you to hear that, because that's relevant to all of you. Listen, it's very simple. Felix put off this matter to a more convenient season. But we do not find that this more convenient season ever came. The present season is, without doubt, the most convenient season. And that's true for all of us. When Jesus comes near and challenges you for the big one, to embrace him as Lord and Saviour, or for other calls which come in our lives, is Jesus really a Lord? Are you going to pay the price of following him and embracing him in any of these areas? We can easily say, it's not very convenient. There's never a convenient season. This is the convenient season when Jesus is speaking. It would seem that that moment was lost. It would seem that although he even talked to Paul, he never got to that point that he got to in verses 24 and 25. Jesus put it very powerfully. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Come on, what's the, what's the big steal here? I mean, one of the American missionaries who died taking the gospel to the Alka Indians put the same thought in a more contemporary way, I guess. He is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's right, isn't it? Felix didn't want to lose the world, but he didn't have the world. You know, what's he profit? What do you, what's the, let's go for Jesus, shall we? Let's be radical. Let's, well, you know, oh, I might lose my ability to, you know, please myself. In, yeah, big deal. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about following Jesus. Actually, even sometimes the things you fear don't happen. That at work respond well to your new righteous approach. But I can't guarantee that. You might get sacked. Oh, and there's a, there's a credit crisis. Yeah, but there's Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that being harsh and dismissive. I find the things challenging. I find I tremble sometimes with the challenges God gives me. But we're following Jesus, aren't we? We're following him not for safety in that sense, but for salvation for eternity. Past salvation, present salvation, and future salvation. And those moments of conviction are opportunities we must take and follow him. There's no guarantee we'll always feel those moments. That's very sobering if you've 
thinking about becoming a Christian. I can't guarantee to you that even if you go to another Alpha in a year's time, you'll feel the same. God can't be played with. It's his spirit that's speaking to you. It's his spirit that was speaking to Felix. And, and really, the, the other opportunities he had to talk to Paul don't seem to have had that weight to them. And sin closed back in in his mind. So let's all be watchful and sober about this and make sure that we follow Jesus and when he speaks to us, we follow. Amen? Let's stand together. Let's, let's have the musicians up. I know it's nearly time to finish, but I'd like to...